0: I spoke with many Kabbalists. They're living in another world. They gave me some drugs. I don't know even what. <laughs> I didn't feel anything. In the afternoon, I'm going to TV, and I'm declaring myself a Messiah. So why assume that there was ever some form of Judaism that was totally divorced of
1: Maybe we'll begin very briefly, just discussing some of your upraising. Just very briefly, coming from Romania to Israel yes. and then your rise in the scholarship, some of the themes in your, your major works. And then I have a few core, core subjects that I've chosen that I'd like to get to. How does that sound as far as structure goes?
0: Right, Sounds all right? Look, uh, I made Aliyah when I was allowed to make Aliyah with the family. meaning uh, we wanted to leave much earlier, but the communists didn't allow. And then I arrived, I had to, to study Hebrew and English and um, matriculation and, and then to go to the
1: army and meaning uh, normal, almost a normal Israeli trajectory. Right. right. You say it's almost normal, but I know that in the army, just kind of for fun, you were studying Japanese. Is that true?
0: Yes, it was <laughs> part of the protest against, the, you know, the hardship of of him, um, of the training period. Right.
1: Yes. But while you were in the army, and even earlier, you were already reading on the scholarship of religion and philosophy. Mircea Liade, you mentioned as one of your no, early I, readings.
0: I, I, I read a lot of philosophy, not on religion, because in Romania we didn't have books on religion. Right. Meaning that uh, not that I had something against it or not, but it simply it was not available. Right. Uh, when I arrived to Israel, I used read Eliade, but I read Eliade much more in order to improve my English, <laughs> rather than to, <laughs> to study religion. <clears throat> so, but it was fascinating to read him. Yes. Uh, f- for sure, he was not uh, metacritical reading. It was just consuming what he said. Right. Which was very attractive. Right. And slowly... Uh, after many many years, and became disillusioned with his views. Yes, I, mean, I wrote a whole book on. on yes, this. yes, yes, yes. But this book, you know, not just to write a book. I had to invest a lot of years of of studying material, which are unknown, in fact, in Israel or even in America. Uh,
1: material that belonged to Eliadis Eliade's corpus.
0: Yes. Starting with Romania I never heard about him because uh, (laughs) he was Fressora Non Grata. Right. Right. And this religion. Right. Right. When I arrived to Israel, I had other things to do than to read Eliad. But in the moment in the army, when I started to improve my English, I started to read. And uh, his English is very, very available, very he writes in a very popular manner and then I discovered that in fact he was a good friend of one of my heroes in Romania. Really? He was a playwright, a Jewish playwright, which I didn't know that he was Jewish, was it? Michael Sebastián. And that was fascinating for me to see this Eliade, that I knew that he's Romanian, but right. uh, coming from another world, and this Michael Sebastián, that I was admiring his uh, place Uh, so that was an incentive to then I discovered that there were rumors about his far-right views which became even more interesting (laughs) (laughs) and then started the polemics about him in early 90s I started to speak with people who were experts in Romanian affairs and it was uh, simply fascinating. Yes. To discover some repressed aspects of his history, which has to do also with
1: his scholarship. Yes. Yes, certainly they're they're connected there. But you weren't you weren't even reading him because of your shed, because he was a compatriot. You were just reading him simply because he was accessible and, and you appreciated uh,
0: the the you know, I was living in Farata, in Farata, in you know, in the li- public library. Is it what I, I found? Right. I, I knew that he's Romanian by his name. It was obvious, right. but that's, that's not important for me.
1: Right. And when you, even when you finished your military service, after you'd been reading Eliade and others, from from what I've read of your previous interviews, you were considering to become a high school teacher. Is that correct?
0: Yes, but you no. Know, there was. You must remember. You know, after I finished uh, the army, it was an economical crisis. Yes, here. so there was no job. But that's, uh, that's another story. You know, I kept reading in order to
1: to learn about religion. It seems. It seems almost. This is just from an outsider's perspective. It seems like. You fell into the study of Kabbalah and Jewish mysticism almost by mistake.
0: I mean, I had no idea what Kabbalah is, right. and I didn't intend to study Kabbalah. Right. It was even not in a dream. I was much more interested in philosophy. Yeah. But I couldn't study philosophy because I was only Kadash, and I had to secure a job. I mean, what can I do with philosophy? Right. So I studied Hebrew literature and English literature. Now, to be sure, they can be a high school teacher. So, despite the fact, I was not terribly interested in either of them. And then, there was some form of economical miracle. 69, 70, when Israel gave a lot of uh, scholarship for Oleh, Olim Hadashim. I was not Ole chadash, but they uh, how to put it, didn't count the years I was in the army, <laughs> so out of the blue I received scholarship and uh, I didn't have to pay, I paid everything including high, high school, but at a certain moment there was uh, economical relief. So I could return to to read philosophy and I wanted to write a page on philosophy, that Not my aspiration, it was the fact that I was enrolled at the Hebrew University first time as a PhD in philosophy.
1: Right. And Maimonides if I if I remember correctly.
0: Maimonides I didn't know. Maimonides Ibn Ezra it was not clear.
1: Right.
0: It was not clear I
1: continued reading also other issues. And you're, you pivoted at some point um, from from philosophy to Kabbalah to Jewish mysticism.
0: Not exactly, because uh, I continued to study philosophy with Professor Shlomo Pines for yes. many, many, many years later. Yes. All his seminars. I finished uh, the PhD in '76, but all, I attended all his seminars in Pilate. And we became very, very Close friends, so I didn't uh, desert
1: it. Right, right. You and didn't abandon. It. And philosophy. also,
0: my approach to Kabbalah is closer to those figures who are more philosophical. Correct, correct.
1: It to to me the great irony is that it seems like you almost became a scholar or you became studying and interested in Jewish mysticism almost by, by accident, like Bimikre, you would say in Hebrew.
0: Not almost, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly by, by accident. So
1: how, can you answer this for me? How do you go from accidentally falling into the study of Kabbalah yes. to becoming what many consider to be the world's leader I, in the, I, I look, academically in the I didn't
0: field? Intend to become. I had no idea that I'm going to teach in the university, and I had no plans, and I didn't know what I'm going to do when I finished the PhD. I was already married, and we didn't know what was going to happen. Uh, there was another, how to put it, phenomenon, which uh, is Jewish studies were allowed a lot of positions in At the beginning of the 70s, positions in the Institute of Jewish Studies. And uh, I was very interested, or already interested to to know what... I didn't study Kabbalah ever. Right. Ever. And I've seen a lot of manuscripts. Attracted me is the fact that there are so many unknown manuscripts That is the most important issue is curiosity So I studied manuscripts, manuscripts, which had nothing to do with my PhD subject Just out Curiosity. Then there was another university very different from today The fact that I studied manuscripts and had discussions with Scholem, with Pines. Was as if I wrote articles. No one pushed me finish the PhD and uh, publish. There's nothing I never heard something like that. So I could afford to continue to read manuscripts for years. And I received scholarship to do it. Not to do it. To do it. I received scholarship, and I understood, I understood that it's going to be fine, that I don't do, it's not a great mistake, what I'm doing. The fact that I studied so many manuscripts, uh, gave me another perspective, right. rather than other scholars who are writing a PhD on printed books and didn't see manuscripts in right. their life, or one manuscript. Right. So that's what
1: happened. And when you're reading these manuscripts, you were bringing with you the theories of earlier scholars, right?
0: Well, many manuscripts were never read by anyone, including Scholem. Hmm. Because at the National Library, the Institute of uh, Microfilms and new material came all the time, including many manuscripts that Scholem couldn't see with all his efforts he made he couldn't see issues manuscripts in Russia, for example. that added other angles than what was written on the basis of the manuscripts available in the 30s and the 40s by Sholem and uh, At the beginning, I've seen that there are differences between what Sholem is writing and what I see. So I I met him, and I told him, look, (laughs) there are differences. So he told me, write me a letter, I shall answer. She wrote me a letter. I wrote him a letter. He answered in a very yake, point after point after point. I didn't agree with his... uh, The PhD, when I wrote the PhD, I quoted this letter saying, look, this date, he wrote me a letter, and he claimed so and so, and and that's written the PhD. And I didn't, I was not hurt by it, on the contrary. So, I didn't want to become, not I didn't want, I didn't imagine to become a scholar, it was just a field very bizarre. With a lot of unknown material. Then Kabbalah was not in like today. Right. Today it's another world. Zen Kabbalah, no one knew what to do with
1: Kabbalah. How did, how did Goshen Shalom respond to your criticisms of his readings? I had the letter, I mean.
0: He wrote. Ashrei mi I have it written with a date. Uh, Happy is someone who corrects himself. Woe to someone who is corrected by others. Mm. That I can show you (laughs) later. (laughs) And uh, we remain in very good relations. Otherwise, I won't receive. Obviously, I won't receive uh, a job. Despite the fact, I kept my positions in the PhD and mentioned the fact that I disagree. Yeah, but there was no problem. I mean, I was, how to put it, uh, privileged basically to receive the job and uh, promotions.
1: And... That's quite—it's quite magnanimous of him that he that he opened himself up to criticism from a young scholar who was known at the time.
0: I cannot explain what happened. Um, I had many discussions with him for sure he was the figure and I didn't feel any pressure not to publish something that I defer or never. Meaning, he was big enough then in order to be able to how to to manage also some minor To criticism. Make space for you. Yes. Yeah, no,
1: that's but very beautiful. Uh, he
0: had the feeling that I'm going to criticize him more. <laughs> and uh, he told some people that it was published in Harutz that I shall write. Sh- Sholem was quoted. I shall write a book criticizing him.
1: Right. Which you you ended up di- you ended up doing that that, that prophecy more true look,
0: I didn't intend to do it you know people uh, have the mythology of you know I didn't intend to write any book right. because I didn't have to write I was promoted without writing books right. so friends of mine pushed me to write right. it was uh, David Ruderman Ivan Marcus yes. they told me look uh, if you have those ideas why don't you write a book
1: right? So you went out to murder the father. That wasn't your objective.
0: Look, given the fact that I didn't feel pressure to write for sure not books, even not articles I wrote articles, but not because of the pressure, and no one told me, "Look, you need a book in order to be promoted." I was already so not associate professor, social professor without writing one single book, right. And I, when I was promoted, I was promoted, not because I wrote the books. Right. Uh, meaning, writing the book uh, that it is the criticism of Sholem, it's not something intended or planned or something. Simply in 86, and JTS, people Encourage me yes. to write something right. more general right. for right. discussion. Right. So I wrote something, right. and there is criticism there. It's very natural. Right. I I hope that uh, you know I didn't
1: exaggerate. Right. Mm. You you wrote you wrote a work which was published in 1988, if I'm correct. Yes. New Kabbalah, new perspectives, yes. where you really turned over. You turned the field on its head, and and that wasn't the end of that. Was just the beginning of your scholarship.
0: I don't know. What to look, it's just. It's not a phase. Meaning, I continue to read manuscripts between 71 and 86 of the time. And I continue to do it after writing the book. In scholarship, especially in humanities, changes are inevitable. Right. Meaning, uh, to say, look, you did something exceptional, there's nothing exceptional. It is, <laughs> it is the way of the world. Meaning, to say that things that Sholem wrote in the 30s should, uh, how to put it, hold for many, right. many decades, right. it's right. unnatural. unnatural. Right. The fact that there are differences is something
1: quite normal, right. I believe. Right. So the you, people created a mythology. Right. You you you're portraying it as quite normal, and I think that's humble of you, because I mean you've gone on to be so prolific. You've written over thirty major, major works, and you it's very hard to keep up with your writing because every time you you refresh to look at the writing list, there's a new so book that's it's, out every year this new normal. book. I think I think it's extraordinary. It's um, normal. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, I'm I'm curious I'm curious what what kind of the what the secret source is in, in your working because because you're this the prolificness of your work, and, and I think I think it's going to take many many decades, if I can be fair, to to grapple with with your output, at the very least.
0: Look, I don't write uh, almost any book which is planned or intended. Uh, the book about perspectives, I told you, I wrote because <laughs> I was pushed, and then that the books on philosophy, that the PhD. When I started to write a book on the Golem, I didn't intend to write a book on the Golem at all. But there was an exhibition in New York. So <laughs> I wrote for the catalog, it was too long for the catalog. Sorry. So they took apart part, and I said, OK, I should write a little bit more. It's going to be a small book. But right. I didn't intend to write a right. book on the Golem. Right. I hear you. It is quite, I can demonstrate it. So also other books emerged out of lectures. Right which I was invited and I didn't initiate it, like the book on Hasidism. Right. So it was not Harvard, there was a conference, I believe in 88, on Hasidism. So I wrote a long article, I was published a part of it in 91. So I thought, okay, I should work a little bit. So it became a bigger book, but without a conference at Harvard, I don't know. Uh, almost all my, my books can be explained by accident.
1: <laughs> you so you say it's accidental. Yes, but yes. I'm very very glad that it happened because I I for one and many many hundreds of people yes. have been benefactors of your of your really great work.
0: Yes, but you must see the background. The background was not to change the course of scholarship in Hasidism. Right, but just a lecture I gave at Harvard and it was long and I published a part and then. It was a pity that uh, the other part should not be published. So I shall work a little bit <laughs> more and then I worked and it became a book. But uh, it was um, 86. Uh, I wouldn't say that I am going to write a book on
1: Hasidism. Right. Right. I hear that. There's a <laughs> it's it is a funny thing among, among scholars when they're they're so prolific. You know, they say a joke who, who, who published something like almost like five hundred books, who was it uh, Nausner or Klausner or who was it on on rabbinic or rabbinic thought?: Yes, you know who I'm talking about? Noisner Noisner. They say a joke that a student came to visit him in his office. yes, and, uh, and he knocked on the door and he said, "Wait a minute, he's just finishing another book.
0: <laughs> I knew him. We met once. twice. He was an extraordinary scholar who had very good ideas, but he didn't have the time to document them.: right. So what happened then had a huge impact then. Ask today people what happens. He wrote 500 books. Yeah, yeah, crazy. Who is reading today? Oh my Why? God. He had ideas. He was not stupid, And uh, but he didn't document. Right. So, so that's the, I hope, big difference. I'm documenting as much as I can.
1: But he did document them. Five hundred books is his documents now. <laughs> no, I didn't write
0: five hundred. Didn't write even. Maybe he wrote 30, 40 books.
1: It's. It, I think. I think something. I'm. I'm trying to. I'm trying to. Um. You're an enigma to me, and and I as a as a as a student, as mm. a reader, as an interviewer, I'm trying to unpack mm. this enigma, that sits in front of me, and I think that perhaps maybe maybe a key to the enigma, um, which some something that you've mentioned now and many times in previous interviews. Is your commitment and dedication almost in a, in a religious sense to the text itself, to the manuscript itself?
0: Not only manuscripts, but also books. Uh, meaning, in most of the cases I wrote, uh, pertinent material is found in the manuscript. But when I write on Eliade, for example, it's yeah. so not manuscript. Right. Despite the fact I found a fascinating manuscript right. unknown, unpublished really? by Eliade, but not because I was looking for manuscripts. Okay, of so the we could
1: say text more broadly.
0: Yes. text. I believe that uh, in humanities, if you like to trace the development of a thinker, you must uh, read him. How do you read a text? Depends, what text. Meaning that, look, people believe that Kabbalah is a difficult text. Not at all. The most difficult texts are Hasidism. You believe the Hasidism is simple. Kabbalah is relatively simple because they have the structures of Sfirot and Bartofim. And you know what to expect. It can be in one, or so here or there, or disagreement, but it is a skeleton.
1: Yeah.
0: And the moment you know, you know. In Hasidism, you don't have such a skeleton. You must understand what's written there, not right. rely on extra. Right. So it depends how do, you, how you do what texts are you reading. Meaning Hasidic texts are very difficult. Not because they are complex, but because they are flexible. And you don't have a starting point which is solid. Right. So you must ponder again and again right. without the system. No system. There are people writing about Hazidim a system that's uh, hilarious. <laughs> you can imagine those people having systems. People living in you know in a village or in the mountains or in a small place and there too many books and they didn't have systems. That's the creation of scholars.
1: Is that true for all of the Hasidic authors? Not all.
0: Chabad, no.
1: Right.
0: Well, not all. Do Chabad, you... no, and Rabbi
1: Nachman, no, for sure. But there right. are exceptions. Sure, sure. You said in a previous interview that, that a text is more complicated than a person. Reading a text is more difficult than reading a person. Yes
0: and no, because uh, text is uh, fixed and the person is flexible, meaning uh, it depends what, meaning uh, also the texts and unconscious issues and um, but I don't use too much uh, psychology right. because I believe that psychology is Not because I deny psychology, but uh, it's not always helpful. It's an intuition in a world which uh, I look... In Shanghai, there are not too many psychoanalysts. Why? Because they have another way of life and uh, that's basically a Vienna story with middle-Europe story and there will be New York which is a counter-export of uh, I see psychology as an attempt, a very interesting attempt to cope with certain situations. But if someone is living in totally different conditions, as I believe some Hasidic figures or even, I don't believe that's uh, helpful. So, show me how many I can show you in my office. I have an encyclopedia of psychoanalysis, three volumes, huge volumes. Where are they? In what part of the world are they? You can see, it's a certain type of culture, producing certain forms of complexities, or complexes, or however you like to call it. And Freud and Jung attempted to deal with the problems. However, someone not living in those conditions have other complexes. I don't right. say it's it's right. complexes.
1: You're saying it's not right to apply this one particular yes. issue on a on a yes, to I believe all the people have the
0: Oedipus right. uh, complex, what can I tell you?
1: No. I it's I wanna I just wanna pull up a quote from, from one of your works here, where you speak specifically uh, about texturality. I thought it was I thought it was quite it was quite interesting. I want to I want to get your get your thought on it. Let's see if I can find it quickly. Um, here it is, here it is. You, you write a comparison between Abu Lafia's work, which we'll yeah. come back to, obviously, um, and modern, post-modern, modern and postmodern yeah. deconstruction, uh, Derrida and others. Yeah. Um, and you write that just as the deconstructive thinkers in postmodernism, they consider language as taking over the author, um, obliterating the importance of authorial intent, you say too that some of the Jewish mystics claim that their own interpretations are transmitted by higher entities, which which is communicating something beyond them. And therefore, the, the meaning of the text is unstable in some sense.
0: Look, uh, meaning of the text is unstable because the author doesn't exist more. And you cannot ask him. And uh, the interpretation depends on you. But I am not so much how to put it, committed to deconstruction. For very simple reasons. Deconstruction is based on a certain type of literature, which is not religious, and not intended to communities. And then, you don't know how to How to put it uh, to verify? So you change the text because you don't have a reference. In religious texts, you have references. If someone is writing it, feeling you know what is feeling, right? So you cannot say, like, the it can be X or Y or right. Z. Ta, ta, ta. If someone is writing uh, Shilat Shacharit, you don't go in the night to Shacharit. So you cannot say that it changes in the way a modern text is changing, which is intended by one individual to the unknown individual. So from this point of view, I don't accept deconstruction. It is, uh, is good for some forms of literature, but not for other forms of literature. So even someone like uh, Umberto Eco is not always subscribing to Derrida. He told me two jokes about Derrida. One, let's say that uh, the wife of Derrida gave him a list to go to the grocery. A shopping list. He's shopping. Is he returning with what's written the list or not? He's returning, that is wrong. Or let's say that Derrida he uh, wrote a letter to Echo that Echo will write him a recommendation. If Echo writes a recommendation, so David dies wrong. So that is the issue. The issue is there are no, in modern literature, the references are very scant. And they are changing also. And Also religious literature, you have flexibility for sure. But there are some, the way of life is structured, and the objects are known. And despite the polemics, even among the polemics, someone saying to the Russian, they know what they're speaking about. They can disagree, but they they disagree about something. Right, right. They agree first. So I'm not, how to put it, using deconstruction. Not that I don't refer to Derrida. Derrida was a great figure and very important, and there are things to be learned from him. But by and large, I'm not postmodern.
1: Yes. You, you described your own approach to Kabbalah and to the text of Kabbalah as phenomenological. Yes. What do you mean by that?
0: What, first, I'm using relatively loose. And what I mean is that it's more important to deal with the content of a text rather than the uh, history or the background, which are for sure very important. But if you insist too much about what's going on around the text you lose the text Mm -hmm. so that's what i call phenomenological meaning what is the content that can be extracted from the text after you know the context after you know the author and the date the, the text is about something else not about when it was written or who wrote so, philological is to put an emphasis on the content, which is the phenomenon of the text. You know, it's written in on pergament or published. Those are in, people are wasting their life. You know, trying to find if that. Uh, the paper was written the 17th century right.
1: or 16th century right. it doesn't affect uh, the text right you want to know what the text itself have to say yes. right so that, that's what I call right it. it's interesting because most people talk about phenomenology about the human phenomena you're talking here about the textual phenomena I deal with texts and
0: I don't have access to the persons right when they have access to the person or well, may be maybe different but, right. But it's uh, very difficult to have access to the, you know, I spoke with many Kabbalists. Uh, not so simple. Uh, they are living in another world, right. When it's very difficult to communicate.
1: Right.
0: Even if you know Yiddish, right. so it doesn't matter. Because I don't know if I'm going to ask a Kabbalist, what was your mystical experience? He doesn't understand what is Havaya and what is mystic, <laughs> And cannot answer me. You know, if I should try to explain, it's going to be very clumsy. So it's very difficult to have discussions with Kabbalists, because their language is very different. I'll give an example that I'm using a lot. first time I was to it's very difficult to speak. Yes, horizons are very, very limited, and I have to explain to them too many things. It is as if I'm indoctrinating them.
1: Right. This you're saying when you're speaking to the Kabbalists, you're saying. Yes. Right. You were you were gonna bring a you were gonna bring an example.
0: Ah. First time I was in a Kabbalistic uh, yeshiva, I thought it going to be the last time also. So I decided not to open the books they are studying, but just to listen to them, to look at them. And then I hear a, a word, which I don't know the meaning, in Hebrew. But it, it couldn't be there, and the word is Kali. Kali, I know that's a Hindu, the Hindu goddess, right like. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot be asking about Kali in Jerusalem. So I opened the book and I see something very simple, but I didn't know. That Kuflamath which is Kripa, cannot be pronounced Kli because Kli is something else.
1: Vessel. Right. So
0: they put Kali. They didn't know it has to do it. Now, interesting to see them and to learn how exactly they are studying. But that is a curiosity. Would I open the book, I would see immediately what it means. So not always we can communicate in an effective way. Not that I'm against, I'm not against. I had many discussions to the extent I could. Manage them, but uh, I'm uh, what I have of texts.
1: Right. But it, it's interesting you say that, that you find it hard to communicate with living Kabbalists, contemporary yes. Kabbalists in Jerusalem. No, depend
0: on what? On manuscripts. You know. They are speaking with me because they don't know manuscripts. They want the information. And that's no problem <laughs> to tell them numbers of manuscripts and
1: titles and history and that's no problem. And you, you've been a resource to practicing kabbalah Yes, at
0: the beginning, the way it started, it right. came to me to to learn about it because they, I was reading in the Institute of Microfilms. They were coming there, they didn't know what to look for. Right. They didn't know how right. to look
1: for it. Right. Were they surprised to meet someone who was so steeped in Kabbalistic texts, but was so removed from Kabbalah as a practice and as a belief system yourself?
0: No, I didn't understand Were they
1: surprised to meet you? Yes. A person who was so steeped uh, in the knowledge, in the texts, but yet so removed from it in terms of practice, in terms of experience and belief? I don't
0: want to tell you an example that the professor of mathematics is not trying triangle.
1: Is not what? A triangle. Right.
0: Meaning, I attempt to look in a sympathetic way. I don't criticize Kabbalists or traditional figures, etc. I attempt to be sympathetic, but uh, that doesn't mean that I identify. Right. I myself didn't have mystical experiences, I didn't try, I didn't use Abu techniques. And for sure, there's a certain price, but there's a price to use them. Because when you use them, you believe that your experience is his experience. Mm. And that's also a price.
1: Mm.
0: You know, we're living in different millennia, almost, in different cultures. And what I would experience using Krista is maybe dramatically different. So if you use it, you can make as great a mistake, as hmm. not using
1: hmm. You feel like it would have compromised your own honesty and integrity as a scholar if you would have experienced it for yourself? Is that what you're saying?
0: I must say that I am uh, not afraid of... Uh, I simply... What is interesting for me is curiosity and not so much uh, to have the experience
1: of. Your curiosity doesn't extend to the experience as no. well. Meaning... Would I have, you know, out of the blue, without making
0: any effort and without having any academic commitment, it would be something may, may. if it happens, it right. doesn't depend on me, right. but uh, I didn't initiate anything.
1: Right. You know, there, there are some easy ways to get there, things like yes. psychedelics. There are some easy ways to bring on what people would consider mystical experiences.
0: Uh, I didn't try by myself, but uh, two friends of mine, I would like not to know scholars, to mention names. When I was in California once in the east side, they gave me some drugs, I don't know even what. <laughs> I didn't feel anything, I must say.
1: Maybe you're immune to mysticism because you've read it too I much.
0: Am, I, I am or not, but. Uh, Look, I didn't initiate it, but two good friends who are professors in universities in the United States. I must say, I didn't feel anything at all, meaning not something vague,
1: anything. Next time, you have to increase the dose. Yeah? You have to increase the dose.
0: Uh, yes, but you know,
1: <laughs> they didn't offer to increase the dose. Right. So. <laughs> right. It's one of the main uh, characters that you've explored throughout f- for, for decades now. Yeah. Has been the great kabbalist Avram Abulafia. Yes. Yeah. Um, some people say that he's your pet kabbalist, like uh, like Shalom had had uh, Shabsai for example. That uh, that he's been a pet kabbalist for you, and you you really spent a lifetime with the man. Yeah. Do you? I'm curious. Do you? Is there a sense of we, we said how there's a capacity to to get to the phenomenon of a text. Do you ever feel that you can get inside his mind, that you know what he's thinking?
0: I am sure that I can identify a text of his having one page. I don't believe that I can, I know how, how he's thinking. I know his uh, vocabulary. Um, I can imagine what will be his, a reaction to something theoretical meaning for so questions that right. uh, he right. didn't write about right i can imagine what will be i'm not totally sure but uh, but i don't uh, meaning i believe he was a fascinating figure but it's not me alone or so sure. people like echo
1: and derrida sure. and who i mean to be fair largely through you and largely because of you I believe he was interesting mind can I ask can I ask maybe a bizarre question do you love him
0: to a certain extent yes Mm. but the reasons are not exactly the depths but his courage Mm. to be himself and not to subscribe, and not to, how to put it, to answer all the criticism and to, as a person, I believe that he was fascinating. You yeah. don't have too many people like this in today's, days, except for you know, Spinoza or something like yeah. that. Yeah. So, love, I don't know
1: exactly, but but, for sure I admire, I admire him, him as a thinker. Right, I hear that, I hear that why why did you choose him why was that i mean you described it as a bit of a mistake before but yes. but it's going to be on that at, at this point hasn't it first
0: i uh, i didn't tend to write about him i can say i scarcely heard the name but uh, there was a problem with my phd on philosophy professor refram gottlieb who was I was his assistant in matters of Kabbalah. Tell me, look, why don't you write about documentaries on the Guide of the Perflexes of Abulafia? So I thought that's perfect. So I spoke with penis. The was reticent, but I decided I'm going to write about it. Uh, First, there was a lot of material unknown. A lot. So that's exactly what I was looking for meaning things that I can read and don't have to to finish immediately. And then I discovered more manuscripts and there are many issues that I didn't write and I'm writing even now. Look, there are professors of philosophy who, of history of philosophy, or all their lives are writing about a philosopher. Of course. So, I don't do it, but uh, even the fact that Bulafia wrote something like forty, fifty books, right. which are difficult,
1: right.
0: and they are often misunderstood, I see nothing bad about it.
1: Right. To write over the years. No, I think it's a wonderful it's, it's a wonderful service. You you brought him in many ways from obscurity back into a reputable place. And, and this is not a fair question because you've written something like half a dozen books on him and, and not just light books, you've written serious, you know, 300-page works. What is it that sits, what's the core of his system? What is it that makes him tick? What's, what's the beating heart of Abulafia? if you could condense it?
0: I believe that uh, his courage to go against uh, the grain, against the current, to say Kabbalah that all the Kabbalists are claiming is not Kabbalah. Yeah. He has another Kabbalah, and he built it to a great extent from the scratch. Yeah. And he had to argue about it. He was excommunicated, and that's the real drama in the history of Kabbalah. Yes, so Kabbalah people claim I received, and okay, I shall divulge something. That he was. Very courageous.
1: What, but what's, what's the core point that he's trying to get across in his, in his philosophy, in his own idiosyncratic Kabbalah? That,
0: that he can, can become one with the deity. Because his intellect and the God is divine, is a mind. So they are, it's a radical claim which even Sholem was afraid to allow and i believe that uh, the main how to put it uh, trigger of creating techniques how to do it attempting to show that is the core of judaism
1: attempts to to unite with god essentially so this brings us back to, to your early work that we, we were speaking of earlier, which is your new perspectives, where you argue very forcefully and persuasively against Shalem, that that union with God, a union mystica, the mystical yeah. union with God does exist in Judaism yeah. and in abundance, yeah. right? And uh, Abulafia is one of the, the yeah. case examples of that. Yeah. Um, you've written a lot on, on this concept of union mystica in, in Judaism. in 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 Kabbalah and in in other earlier Jewish sources uh, I'm curious how do you see I want to I want to open up a bit of a comparative space here how do you see this concept of uniting with God union mystica in Judaism differing from other mystical traditions
0: there is no one concept there's one term but there's no one concept for someone who is claiming that the most important part of man is mind, so Unio Mystica is a union of intellects. Someone claiming that the soul, so it's a union of the soul. Uh, so just not one concept of, of Unio Mystica. Uh, to a great extent, denial, which is very, very Sholemian, meaning that what he claimed that's categorically has to do with an attempt to distance himself from Christian mysticism. To say, we have something different, on something which is crucial. I believe that that's that's a hidden agenda, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: to keep it different. I don't attempt to fuse between them, to say they're the same, for sure. But I don't see any problem on the basis of this criterion, yes or no, to distinguish. So, for example, on the session in '86, there was a session on the chapter on New Mystica. Yes. The moderator of the chapter was Bernard McGee. Yes. And from all the, how to put it, chapters that was the most disputable, among Jewish scholars. So he asked McGinn, look, are you persuaded by what I wrote? He told me you are 100% right." Right. So we decided on the spot in '86 to write a book on mystical unity. In the book, I claimed that in today there's more than Christianity. <laughs> After reading Bernard McGinn.
1: Yeah.
0: I don't see a problem here. I uh, mean, uh, McGuin could react to what I wrote, because we have reactions right. to each
1: other. During the… During
0: the um yes. He didn't dispute this claim. Right. So, for me, it was incredible. The most important scholar on Christian Methodism
1: right.
0: wanted to write with me a collection of articles on this topic, and he read my claim, and he didn't dispute it. Right. He could dispute, say, look, you exaggerate, we are good friends, we didn't, no? So, I believe this an important concept in religion. means it's not something secondary. Right. So, not to write about it, because I wrote already a chapter sometime.
1: Right. So you ended up publishing a work in collaboration with McGee and with, with, with Merker yes. on Unumistica in the three Abrahamic faiths. Yes. Yes. Um, over there, you speak about, about Jewish mysticism and, yeah. and Unumistica there. Yeah. And in, it's in the context of the other two discussions. But, I'm, but you don't so much directly speak about your own sense of comparison. But you're saying now that in Judaism, it's it's more present than in Christianity, yes. which is a wild claim, particularly yes. coming from Shalom. But I'm I'm curious. What is the 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 nature or flavor of Jewish unumistica that's different than the Christian unumistica and the Muslim unumistica in this for this context?
0: One, because it is active, meaning there are techniques how to achieve it. And Christianity is basically passive. It happens to you. You are searching for it, for so sure, you are waiting. You are dedicating years to wait for. But uh, you don't have techniques, at least in the Catholic forms of faith. In the Orthodox Christianity is a little bit different. In Judaism, it is a very active pursuit. It means that you don't wait, you must do. So that's something very very important but one of the lectures i gave about techniques begin no, not in 86 it was much later begin came and told me look you don't speak about techniques you are speaking about magic
1: hmm. for him is magical
0: hmm. i understand him hmm. i'm using the term technique not because i don't believe there's magic in kabbalah it's another story right. but that is a technique right but from the point his point of view you cannot force mystical union right because it's a matter of divine grace right Jews don't speak about grace that's a huge different difference right. it's a real difference yes
1: what's what are speaking of the techniques what are some of the primary techniques that the Kabbalists employ? There are many Abulavi
0: has techniques of Combination of letters and bracing. Others have other techniques via prayer. There are Others, meaning ascetic uh, uh, approaches. Uh, others are writing Hasidism, maybe enthusiasm. And, and they are different different forms of approaching, right. and I assume there are also different
1: experiences. Right. right. So that's, that's on the differences between the traditions. What do you think is common amongst the world's mystical traditions on that front?
0: Even the fact to become, to transcend your human condition in a radical way, I believe that is uh, shared by many traditions. From yoga up to, doesn't matter what, uh, people transcend their human condition, to give the example of uh, stigmata. You know what stigmata is? Stigmata, something happens to your hand. I don't understand the process, but I believe it it happens. to transcend your condition, not psychologically, but also physically. That's a great, how to put it, experience to see this search for transcendence.
1: Right, right. I appreciate you coming back to the human body, because after all, that's what's shared amongst the mystics. They all share human bodies in a sense, right? You've done some work on on neuropsychology and neuroscience and and mysticism. You co-wrote a a work on that. I, I wonder, do you have a theory of what is it that's happening? To these mystics of conscious traditions can we talk about a, a universal grammar of experience some sort of a that the self is being dissolved is, is there something that's happening because they're sharing a human psyche and human bodies No,
0: it, my answer has to do with the answer to psychology
1: why don't you have in
0: judaism stigmata
1: because we don't have a crucified okay. messiah
0: so so what is unifying Everyone has his experience according to his mystical universe, or magical universe, doesn't matter. And uh, we should look in the framework for what happens. So what is unifying? Attempt to transcend, death, transcend, uh, how to put it, from time to time even the community. That search for transcendence seems to me to be unifying. Great. Right. someone dealing with yoga, some dealing with the Hasidis. They are not the same.
1: Where does where does that unified experience or um, unified report? Wh- Where's where that coming from? Why 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 are people across traditions, across time, experiencing this desire and result of transcending? The because human. they
0: are not happy. <laughs> you know, what can I tell you? You know, they are not happy with their condition. They want something more. So there is some deficiency. In I don't know where, in childhood, in mature life, in career, and someone who like more. And since I didn't aspire to anything. So I didn't miss anything.
1: <laughs> do you think? Do you think Plato's formulation of the theory of the forms and Plato in the Republic, yes. his the allegory of the cave and the theory of the forms? Do you think that articulation is coming from a place of of lack that he's looking for something more, something more real? For sure. Look, that's uh, for sure.
0: Plato understood very well that we're living. to a great extent, in the world of illusion. They so are looking for something stable. The cave story is what is stable. And uh, that became a big, a big, uh, how to put it, uh, metaphor in mysticism. People are looking for something stable, They're all also transcendence. People believe that what they are it's transient.
1: Do you think that the that the Jewish mystics do something positive with this search for transcendence with this sense of um, of lack? Do they do they do something good with it?
0: Look, most of the Jews didn't have any problem with their condition normal, how to put it, common people were people who had other aspirations, but I don't say that it's Judaism, Hmm. it is found in Judaism because Judaism is a religion of many, many people, and there are people having other aspirations, most of the cases someone aspires to be a khazan. And the monk is Hazan, that's his word.
1: Right. Okay, it's right. fine. it's okay. transcendence right.
0: of his non-Hazan experience. Right.
1: There are people
0: who knew Talmud by heart, like Solomon Maimon. And he wanted more. Right. He wanted philosophy right. and Kant and uh, so people like uh, Solomon Maimon, for sure, was not happy, despite the incredible capacities he had. So he wanted to convert, he wanted to criticize everyone, right. he wanted to. Not because he was stupid, because he was super intelligent. So, for sure, this search for transcendence is different in different people. And have different prices, and uh, I don't know if different attainments. That I simply don't know. I take them um, by words. That what they wrote. That what they felt.
1: Right. It's it's incredible, thinking about what they did with this drive for transcendence. Though I mean, I I couldn't imagine a Judaism today without Kabbalah. Like, what, yes. what would that look like? Yes. Can can you? What would it be like if that phenomenon didn't exist? Where would we be?
0: There was never a Judaism without some form of mysticism. Meaning, uh, the assumption that in a certain moment Kabbalah emerged and that filled the gap, that's not true. Start with Rabbi Akiva. He was praying, in the middle of prayer, he was, you know, next to the. Rabbi Akiva, no? So, was it Rabbi Akiva, not Rabbi Akiva of the Echalot, Rabbi Akiva of the Mishnah. So you can say that uh, there was no mysticism other form of Mysticism, but it was ecstasy. Rabbi Akiva. Yes. So Sinav. Rabbi Ishmael having this experience of uh, God Yes. is isn't Talmud, the beginning of Talmud. So how can someone claim that a Judaism without in a certain moment something came in intruded right. but that's not true you know take the book of uh, psalms it's very mystical what can be more mystical
1: to have god in, in one's yes. presence at all times no, no. yes so
0: so why assume that there was ever some form of uh, judaism including Galaha? It was totally divorced of mysticism. Right. I mean, that uh, runs against the uh, facts.
1: How are you defining mysticism for sake of, of this uh, point?
0: Look, uh, there are many definitions of mysticism. The definition I prefer, not that uh, explains everything. A mysticism is the search for the contact. Be- the search for a contact with something greater than you. It can be God, it can be a spirit, it can be intellect, it can...
1: Part of your, a very important part of your scholarship has been showing the internal continuity yes. of, of Jewish mysticism from mm. Talmudic sources, from, from antiquity to the Middle Ages, right? Against earlier trends of scholarship which saw discontinuity and external yes. external like infiltration.
0: But that's a, a traditional society, <laughs> which you know is that's normal. Right. Meaning the attempt to explain history only on the basis of ruptures seems to me to be almost incredible. what? Almost incredible. Incredible. Meaning people use the same language, the same basic text the same way of behavior for two thousand years and to say ah there were ruptures so, yeah, there are ruptures and some issues I don't say that no uh, well, but also my mind is a rupture right so there are ruptures which are part of development if you like to call it so enrichment however you like but to insist only on those issues and not to see continuity. So my mind wasn't against Kabbalah, would he speak with the Kabbalists? But he could speak with them. They, they had a common language. Yes. They would understand each other, they would disagree. But nevertheless they could understand each other.
1: Right. it's it's there's there's some irony here because you've returned in some senses to what's a very traditional perspective on kabbalah that kabbalah self-identifies and is seen as as part of an ancient tradition
0: look i don't believe that uh, if someone is uh, agreeing with some part of kabbalah he is uh, mistaken by definition (laughs) If someone shows that I am wrong, I say, I am wrong. But uh, to say uh, that's, you know, the mission of the Ka- I don't say the Kabbalah is ancient. I claim Kabbalah is late 12th century. But there are ideas of Kabbalah, which are found earlier. I don't see any problem. Also Shodham would say, ah, yes, Kabbalah, there are Gnostic views, which are earlier. True. OK, so what is the dispute between us? You say it's one for more complete uh, right. continuity right. another complete.
1: i mean you're 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 downplaying the difference a little because you you believe that gnosticism itself is a jewish phenomenon. That...
0: not i believe i must say that's not my view it is a view of scholars right, right. As i say quote you know, right. that i didn't invent this uh, okay i shall True. tell you a story a real story in 89 i received a letter from hans Jonas the scholar of Gnosticism, yes. he wanted to meet me. I was a little bit surprised, that I didn't know he's alive, and that he wanted to meet me. So he came to Jerusalem and we had a discussion. He read the Kabbalah perspective, and he was very angry.
1: Angry? <laughs> angry, very angry.
0: He told me, you said that Gnosticism are Jewish elements. I said, yes. So no, they were anti-Semites. So I told him, look, it's not my view. I quote scholars, why don't you argue with them? Right. What do you, why? You came to argue with me when it's not my, my idea. Right. Then he told me, ah, but you said it from Jerusalem.
1: Uh-huh.
0: So, okay, so that's not an argument for me. So that's a development in scholarship of universities done by non Jewish and Jewish scholars. Who claim there are Jewish element and they wrote about it. Right. So if I adopt something like that, that means that uh, uh, you know if I adopt the Kabbalistic view. No, that scholars, serious scholars, which I see no reason not to quote them. Right. But I don't say that Kabbalah is ancient. they say there are ideas in Kabbalah which are earlier. Right. And I don't say that Sholem wouldn't say about other things that early. I say, but
1: it's Gnostic. So what? Right. If, if one wouldn't know better, it almost, one could, one could almost assume or, or read a hidden agenda in your work, which is, which is a very traditional agenda, arguing for, for, for the antiquity of these these ideas, arguing for the centrality of the mitzvot, the rituals. I mean, your, in your defense, you'll say that those are just, that's what's there in the text. But yeah, look, um, look, you come up with a very uh, traditional like, reading look, of Kabbalah look, in the look, end. Look. As I said earlier,
0: traditional or not, if someone has a problem, he must show specifically what it is. Right. <laughs> Maybe. Otherwise, it's just an it so That's traditional, so what?
1: Tradition is wrong. Right. Okay, show me, the wrong. Right. I have no problem right. with it. Right. More than just traditional readings, when I read your work, I grew up in a Chabad family, yes. so my approach to Jewish mysticism is entirely mediated through Chabad Hasidism yes. and I'm, I'm very well aware of that. When I read your works, I read, I read your Messianic Mystics for example, yes. and you're talking about the interior process, the, 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 the inner psychology, the inner redemption, yes. which to me, when I'm, when I'm used to reading other scholars on Kabbalah, they're talking about something which is far away and up in supernal realms, and the interior reading seems like a almost like a Hasidic reading, but yet that's the reading which you're bringing back to the Kabbalists themselves. So, do you believe that? Do you believe that that is? That was part of
0: life. I mean, people have inner life. <laughs> I mean, even a psychoanalyst would say that people have an inner life. and that's very important. That's shaping their life. And to say that everything is economical, or social, or political uh, is better. What I say is that uh, I see it as uh, commonplaces. That I, people don't want uh, to, to confront it and to say, "Look, Messiah is someone who doesn't have an inner life; he is coming only to make propaganda," so okay, I see no problem with it. You know, I, I don't see here first Abu Lafeet saying that Messiah is, is an inner story. And there are many other Kabbalists saying before Hasidism. So someone is arguing with something like that. You know, I brought examples, I wrote a book, uh, not just an ideological book, bringing examples. The people deserted their inner life in favor of social movements, Because, uh, in a way, they didn't
1: take seriously the material. Did they didn't take seriously what? They didn't take seriously the material. The material, I, hear, I hear, in, in their reading of you it.
0: Can, uh, you can know, imagine someone who declares that he's the Messiah and didn't have an inner life before. Just in the morning, <laughs> he mm-hmm. decided, you know.
1: For In the afternoon,
0: reasons. I'm going to TV and I'm declaring myself a messiah. Why? Because that's a good idea. <laughs> you can imagine something like that. Something abrupt.
1: Right. Right.
0: So what I say is something I believe very easy to, to understand right. and much more practical right. rather than the idea that, okay, Sabbath she had a revelation out of the blue. He's the Messiah, right? for sure hidden in your life, we know, we know about So,
1: I hear what you're saying and it's, and it's true, but it, it does seem to me like you do choose certain lines of thought or areas of inquiry to, to, to focus on. I mean, some of your latest work is on the divine feminine, the, the privileged divine feminine, yes. right? And, and you're saying that that's, that's in the text and you're showing the text and you do that very finely, yes. but, but there's certainly an and you have your own inner life and you're making choices on why you want to focus on femininity or on uh, in- interiority.
0: Look, I believe in what Sholem wrote for many years that, you know, Kabbalah is basically androcentric. Is androcentric.
1: Androcentric. Yes.
0: But can I do is I found with the time text which don't work exactly. So his explanation, that Shekhinah, is out of the blue, came from Gnosticism or from Christianity, according to other explanations. When you can find in Babylonia a term named which who is feminine, running a palace. So, I found sometime, I don't remember when, that there is a concept named Shintu in Babylonian religion, mm. dealing with a clearly feminine figure, with some form of a runner of a palace. So, do you believe that the emergence of the term Shekhinah in Rabbinism is just an accident. He didn't know how to put it uh, Hebrew grammar and made a mistake.
1: Right.
0: We say shekhinah, is okay, it's but it's masculine. And then it turned to be feminine. No. That's serious. Not that I discovered or had an inclination. I explain to you why, because there is such a term and this issue was neglected by the scholars and they made efforts to evade the feminine aspects of the Shekhinah before Kabbalah. And it doesn't work always. and. So I don't believe I have an agenda. I'm I have a here effect. You know to you know, first I found that Shinto is and then then I wrote in Kabbalah and etc. And then I discovered a small article by an Israeli scholar, and that's important, about the root Shin Kafnun Nakadin.
1: Hmm.
0: He doesn't know what Shina. But he's saying it's
1: feminine.
0: Mm. So two different exactly the same root. What can I do? What can I do <laughs> if I see something like that? To say, ah look, be cautious. Don't push against the feminist because that's a feminist prejudice to say there is no feminine aspects of the Shekhinah.
1: It's a feminist prejudice to say that there's no... It's fe- a feminist project, because
0: the feminists would like to show that there is something wrong. Hmm. Something wrong. Hmm. So, I don't say the Kabbalists were better husband or not. I may have to put a semantic remark. If you can show me, you you know for sure. Shmota right. Malachim Baum Babel, true? So, what's the Shinakim
1: Babel? Right. It was a problem. Right.
0: Shmota Hadashim Baum
1: Babel. Right. The names of the months, the Hebrew months.
0: No. Yes. So, I said, no, why Shinadin came? She remains there.
1: Right. No. Right. It's funny that you mentioned that. It
0: is, it is traditional what I said here or not? Half, half yes, half, no. know, half Okay, <laughs> so you see that what can be traditional means the moment can turn anti-traditional. Right. So, look, yes. this claim about the shina, I mentioned it several times to scholars during with and I told them, look, you don't have to believe me. Just open a dictionary of Assyrian and see what's written there. No one did it. <laughs> Don't say, look, there's an enigma here, okay, there is something there, but people don't open the dictionary, written by people who had no No idea about Kabbalah, no agenda. (laughs) So I commented twice to a certain scholar who wrote about Shrina, that's a Christian influence. He didn't open
1: the dictionary. Great. That's that's problematic. (laughs) So that is... uh, that's, that's serious. Tell me something. I want to I I jump back to something that we said just a second earlier, which is the centrality of mitzvot as, yes. r- as rituals to unite with, with yes. the divine. Uh, and you've highlighted a few of them that the Kabbalists highlight, which is prayer and which is Torah study and which is and the general, all the general yes. mitzvot. What it, if you can give a bit of a sort of a panoramic view of the Kabbalistic thinking, how does, the performance of a mitzvah of a jewish ritual commandment um unite one with god because it seems like a stri- And not, a of mystery. The,
0: not all of them claim that united with god but but uh, first you have the, mytholo- uh, the etymology mitzvah like tsevet so you believe that mitzvah is tsevet
1: what is tsevet,
0: tsevet is so to be together
1: mm-hmm.
0: Tfila. That's to mean by their etymology. They claim that there are moments, and the moments differ from one case to another. Either God, you were sent to God via prayer, or you attract God down via right. prayer. Right, So there's those two different issues. But uh, what is in common is the shared assumption that this is the moment of communion with God.
1: Right. If you
0: go there, he's coming here. That's that's a small detail.
1: Technicality. Yes, <laughs> but uh,
0: but the conviction that that is the moment because that is the normal life, and people attempt to elevate their normal life. And not to, there was no, in today, there was no monastery, no monks, and you cannot have a special form of life like in Christianity, or like in Islam, or like in Hinduism. So you are living with people. You don't have institutions. So you are keeping to the institutions
1: you have. Communal institutions, ritual institutions. The commandment. Right. And it it creates a very, almost like a terrestrial form of mysticism. It's very embedded in everyday life.
0: Yes. Okay. So just not so very spiritual and people have a problem with it. Right. And uh, scholars.
1: What's the problem with it? You know, uh,
0: the book of uh, Rivka of Muhammad. Hasidism Was mysticism. She wanted to have the Hasidim like you know the Christian mystics. Right. Ah, that's you know it's uh, filah. That's mental prayer. Hmm. What do you mean mental prayer? There's no mental prayer in Judaism. Hmm. You can say belachash, okay. Belachash is not mental prayer. So this you see an uneasiness in scholarship with this corporeality of so. <laughs> what can I tell you? you? know, The texts are running against it.
1: Is that something unique to Jewish mysticism, that sense of um, com- communality and bodiliness and everydayness?
0: Look, other, other mis- uh, religions have other institutions for it, where you can cultivate something which can be called more spiritual. In today's it doesn't matter how mystical you are, you must come in the morning to the minion. that we know from the Hasidic from the Hasidic comments on 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 Moses? Moses was there but he came down. So so that's the structure of the religion. You cannot escape because You cannot live outside, you don't have the conditions to live in monasteries or alone. In Orthodox Christianity, people are living in the mountains, you know, on caves like the Bash. So the Bash was a little bit there, but uh, (laughs) he returned.
1: Right. Even the the Ari before he makes his way to Tzfat is also living monastically
0: he was at least partially eh, for two weeks <laughs> <laughs> it's nothing I speaking people living 40 if, right. if you read uh, fathers of the desert right. people are living 40 years 50 years <laughs> two weeks two right. weeks right right
1: <laughs> you have a you you resist any form of um, essentialism, saying that this is Kabbalah or this is Judaism, that's something that you resist quite quite strongly. But um, but when you when you write about the the practice in Judaism, um, you you say that the that the emphasis on the techniques and the performance of the mitzvot uh, in the spiritual and inner life of the Jewish mystic yes. um, is something is, is the deep structure of classical Judaism. The yes. phrase you use. Yeah. So, is do. do if if you were to try and venture a a an essence of Jewish mysticism, would that be the direction that you would that you would look for it in?
0: That seems to me to be inevitable. We have books about written only about Tabi Mitzvat. How many books do you have of Tabi Mitzvat? You have tens of books. Lengthy books. In my opinion, the most important books. So why argue with those books? And you see the people living, not just writing, living in such a way. They have a lot of reports. So what is the issue to take, to take issue with it?
1: What about, what, about, what about people like the Italian Kabbalists who are less focused on mitzvot? Yes, and- but
0: the, the Italian Kabbalists were not very ascetic. So they were living in society. What society is another story. Also Jewish, also Christian. But they were not monks the italian kabbalists jewish were not monks they were married they had children they were living in a society while there were monks in italy so that's a difference
1: right and, and and also you point out that they never really did become part of mainstream jewish mysticism They did became
0: mainstream but uh, for other reasons but but uh, Because they were acculturated to a powerful culture. And people today don't like it. But if you look to themselves, all of them were married. 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 All of them, I assume, keep the commandments minus. We don't know. They're not excommunicated. Bridge. We don't hear about uh, being heretics, Bridge. So, Bridge. so Italian capitalists were different, but not, not all of them were Bridge. different
1: and they were not so different. What do you think of the Italian capitalist perennialism, yeah? their perennialism?
0: I don't accept uh, perennialism as a way of thinking. Uh, I believe that's uh, an invention. Yes, are strong, how to put it, uh, directions toward uh, perennialism in Eliade, Corbin, Jung. Uh, I don't accept them. Beyond perennialism, you have always something very particular. It takes time for you to identify what is this particular perennialism. So, Jung is basically Christianity and Korban is Islam, Mneliade is Archaic. Everyone has his perennialism. They work together in Iranos, And they at least agree about the perennialism. But there's nothing like perennialism, even there. They don't agree about what it is.
1: Right. You've also been to Eranos. I was there several times. But not as a perennialist.
0: No, no, not at all. What I published there doesn't differ from
1: anything I wrote before or later. And were you comfortable there? Are you accepted there? I was
0: not the Eranos of Eliade and Scholem and uh, Corbin and Jung, You were dead already. And the Eranos I was there was another structure. I don't know what was beyond the renewal of Eranos, but in any case, I published what is there, and I didn't subscribe ever to perennialism, and I criticized it. Also, Scholm didn't, didn't subscribe to it while he was there.
1: Right, true. Do you do you think that the perennialists are? You think that that they're wrong because they're they're ignoring the particularity, right? Is that what you're saying?
0: There is no perennialism. There are different forms of perennialism, but I told you each of them has a certain agenda.
1: Right. Do you think that there's a potential to to focus on on the common amongst the traditions? And to and to they
0: don't they don't emphasize the common.
1: Who doesn't? The perennialists?
0: Yes. They claim that but they look. What they do, they translate the other and use their term. Right. But that's not a fair game. Like you translate all the problems of people to the Oedipus complex. Because it's a translation. Then you have a complex, and that's, uh, according to Jung at least, some form of. But but that's uh, how to put it you infuse your mythology in the text.
1: Do you think it's possible to not do that do you think it's possible to to construct commonality it is not possible
0: totally possible not to do it but we must first be aware of it and be as cautious as possible to prevent it meaning all of us have some unconscious views but i can easily control myself to see that I don't do it, I mean that it's that you can call it certain form of instinct because that's simplifying and that is giving you the clue and that's very nice to write books about it. But uh, scholarship is exactly about it. Exactly. Not to subscribe. Right. Right. to the instinct, to the easy, to the what make you a public figure, and all those issues are not scholarly. They are form of egotistic uh, enterprises. And uh, we must be aware that we have this instinct, but uh, the, what is scholarly is to transcend
1: it. It's interesting because when I first reached out to you and I emailed, when I first emailed you, yes. I reached out for the interview, and I signed my name yes. and then the name of, of my project, which is Seekers of Unity. Yes. And you responded very kindly, yes, the interview, but you said, I'm not here for unity. And you said you're here for plurality. Yes. I remember. Yes. I'm, and I'm curious about that because to me, that it, seem, to me it seems that the mystics, yes. both in Judaism and outside, are seeking unity.
0: Yes. The unity, their unity. That's true. Their unity. Each of them as looking for the unity that everyone should subscribe, which is their unity. <laughs> now, can tell you a story about it. the story, the text of uh, Levi We read that uh, for sure. We pray and we pray by letters, the Hebrew letters. But all the others cannot pray; they don't have the letters. But those are the letters. Controlling the universe. That is unity. But unity for us, some form of kusari. In the moment you say that unity for me, and don't say it is unity, and you deny to the other very explicitly. So there's not unity, there's
1: disunity. That's certainly that's true of many mystics that are doing a very particularistic, ethnocentric, uh, ontolinguistic form of yeah. their own unity. But, but I think there are some characters, and I think you see them coming out of the Italian Renaissance, Jewish characters that are trying to do something more expansive, more universal.
0: You are right. There was such a tendency, which is a Greek tendency. Greek, the Greeks believe that they have the explanation of the cosmos. And this Greek uh, approach exploded again in the Renaissance. And their claim was, not that it's universal. They say, ah, the Kabbalah is very nice. They are telling us exactly the Christian. So we must translate the Kabbalah. Right. That's what they're doing, they're right. translating. Right. So this expansion is not exactly
1: universal. It's very particular. Right. Those, those that are starting it, yes. like Pico and Ficino, are doing that. But those but the Jews that take it back from them are not trying to read Christianity into Kabbalah. They're trying to read Kabbalah outwards to the world, right?
0: I don't say that automatically all of them are the same. Uh, you know, you mentioned Renaissance. So I told you, Renaissance is very, very Christian.
1: What about someone like Herrera? He's not a Christian. Like? Herrera, Avram Cohen to Herrera.
0: He is not uh universalistic. He's philosophically oriented, influenced strongly by the Renaissance, and attempted to be more how to put it, uh, universalistic than others, but uh, Luria is the real truth. But must be interesting. There was no difference between him and the Christian Renaissance. He attempted to be a Jewish. Christian in a sense.
1: Right. <laughs> that's, a, that's a well. That's a good way to put it. Do you think that there's anything, do you think that the mystics say anything true about reality? About? Reality?
0: Yeah, I don't know what reality is, so I cannot tell you, you know, for sure that they're saying something true because they are part of reality. <laughs> Even if they imagine everything, that's still part of reality. What do you mean you don't know what reality is? I said, we don't know. Reality is changing. What do it mean? Reality in a certain moment? Reality is, uh, is static? It's not changing everything?
1: Well, but you just said something about reality. You said that it's changing. You know something about reality.
0: So if you like to say that reality is changed, it's fine. But that we know from, you know, from <laughs> astrophysics that everything is changing, and including the laws of nature, which are changing.
1: Right. But the Kabbalists are making metaphysical truth claims about reality are they yeah, there, they do. Right. So um, I'm curious, do you think do you do you do you do you find any of their metaphysics to be compelling or persuasive?
0: Look, for me metaphysics like theology are another need to offer meaning and even to transcend by creating an alternative reality. Today, it's not exactly in, after Nietzsche and others to speak about uh, metaphysics was, philosophically speaking, in decline in the last 150 years or something like that. So people are reticent about and they are turning much more to language. Right. Not that the language is uh, much better, but so they are criticizing also language. Do you have no need for meaning? Yes, I assume that in family and you know, for sure there's meaning. The, the problem with this meaning is uh, how to put it: a temporal, universal. Sure that uh, I would like to finish a book. Its meaning, but it's going to disappear afterwards. Without meaning, people don't do too many things.
1: Do you find meaning in the Kabbalists after spending your lifetime studying them?
0: I don't know if I find meaning. I found, uh, I would say, joy by doing it. I enjoy it. I don't, you know. I go in different directions, and I enjoy the fact that it's different. Discover new new views. People call it meaning. I don't know. But
1: what do you enjoy about it?
0: First, I learn something new. That's very very important. Otherwise, I could stop writing many years ago, or to repeat myself all the time. So, why? To write is a very difficult experience. I mean, you must read and others, and argue, and so it's a difficult issue. But I do it because I enjoy. It.
1: You enjoy. You're still, you're still curious, and you're still, you're still passionate Take about. am writing
0: books right. based on new material,
1: right.
0: and I hope also new approaches shows that I enjoy it. it Otherwise, I will not do it.
1: It doesn't get boring after a lifetime. D- don't you feel at a certain point that you've seen everything already? I didn't see
0: anything. I know for sure that I didn't see. <laughs> I have no illusion. That I didn't see any, Even if when I'm reading, when I'm reading again, I see that uh, I have another view than 40 years ago. So it's the same.
1: Right. Yeah. You, you, re- you republished recently a new work on, on Abu Lafia after you've already
0: a new work, right. and I
1: hope to publish more. Great, I know material. Can I ask what are you working on right now? That's exciting for you. On a book on Hasidism. Can it be a bit more specific.
0: It's not a specific uh, book, but uh, who is the emergence of chassidism and why chassidism succeeded. The question is, uh, not how has this emerged, but how has it succeeded? You can imagine some few people, and some students and the students of the students, or so what? The problem is how something like that became a movement. It was a text, that's immaterial. The text actually didn't affect it. So there is something in Judaism or in Ashkenazi Judaism that allowed it to emerge and to succeed up to today. So that is the issue, the real issue. Not if this coming from it was coming from Luria is coming from there. That's an important issue, but it doesn't doesn't answer the question why it succeeded.
1: Why did it succeed?
0: Because they were Ashkenazi.
1: <laughs> it's a bit it's racist. A great, it's a great, it's great, it's great discovery. It's the great discovery is that the that the chsedim ashkenazim. Yes. <laughs>
0: you know that people claimed it was a sidur Sfaradi, true?
1: Right. People checked it. I'm assuming not. And minhag was also Sfaradi, right?
0: Not so sure. Open it. We'll see. And, you know, the kiyachufar. All the angels
1: there.
0: That's pure Ashkenazi. That's from the Faraday.
1: When you say Ashkenazi, you mean all the way back to Chassidic Ashkenazi, yeah. right?
0: So that's very important. Right. Important moment, not just a detail. Sure. Not in nusach. Sure. Okay. For example. So.
1: But what's the significance of them being Ashkenazi? Why does being Ashkenazi contribute to their success? There are many non-successful Ashkenazi. Like
0: that's a long story.
1: There's not. There is no one single. But you're saying because they were, because they were part of the culture which they were working They're in. They're part of the
0: culture. Yes. That's Hasidus what you is part of the Ashkenazi culture because Ashkenazi. Eh, it's very simple.
1: Mm. And and because they were at home, they were able to be yes. to be picked up.
0: I believe it's a simple question, also a simple
1: answer. And previous movements, me? Previous movements, they, they weren't indigenous to their own cultures?
0: I don't, I don't want to generalize. I'm speaking about a movement which exists already 250 years or more. Right. Okay. So that remains part of the culture, quite powerful, and despite all the attacks and the moderna and whatever. So why not attempt to understand
1: it? Why? But do you think that that fully answers the question? I mean, there are many movements that are indigenous to a culture that don't go anywhere. It's it seems that there doesn't. It's not my business. No, but it seems like you haven't answered the question by saying that they're Ashkenazi. It seems that I know I. I shall,
0: ask in the, I shall answer in
1: detail, you know. <laughs> not that, uh, the
0: book is not about uh, a title, you know, <laughs> I mean, I gave you an example no? Yes, I hear. an example which is assuming that that's not Ashkenazi, the example, for excellence.
1: But I'm asking that being Ashkenazi itself is not enough of a reason, seemingly, for, for the incredible success of the Hasidic movement. It seems that there may have been something Depends else. Depends, how do you understand Ashkenazi?
0: I'm sure you don't know your culture. Ashkenazi culture. You don't know it. So what do you You mean? read the Lazaro forms? No. No. So okay. <laughs> so enough. So what do you You mean? like me you like to make, make you a list of what you didn't read, it's Ashkenazi? <laughs> what do you meaning when you say Ashkenazi? It's many things, it's not uh, one. You know the best read Seferazi Elamalah is 80% Chashkinas. No scholar opened the book to quote one line. And the book the best studied. Why? It's not important. It's not Sabbatean, right. it's not Lurianic. Right.
1: And, it's not exciting. But <laughs> you have there.
0: And
1: as I forms and
0: other texts which are Kabbalistic texts are not Ashkenazi, but influenced by the Ashkenazi.
1: What What is the genius of Ashkenaz? I
0: I don't say it's a genius. I say that's an inclination. That's a traditionalist. Traditionalist.
1: But inclination is enough to explain the the yeah, success.
0: It's not everything. Great. Right. And I don't claim that uh, Hasidism is Hasidic Ashkenaz.
1: Right. For sure not. Right.
0: But they're still part of the same culture. Right. Right. And not to ask this question seems to me to be bizarre.
1: Right. Right.
0: So maybe my answers are going to be partial. Okay.
1: Right. Because to me it seems that, that Hasidism does something, does something which is really tremendous. Yes. In their emphasis on, on simplicity, on on sincerity.
0: Because not only Ashkenazi. I didn't see that everything is Ashkenazi. Right. There are also Siddiq right. and other scholars. Right. But we're speaking about why it succeeded. Right. For sure, there are other ingredients which are Kabbalistic and magical.
1: Right. For sure. The Baal Shem Tov has been a topic of yours, of your recent scholarship for some time now, the figure of the Baal Shem Tov. Ever, I mean, ever since your work on. Yes, but you know, I'm earlier. going to
0: write a book about that. I thought that. In, i going to write this book on Baal Shem Tov. It turns to be a Hasidist. Right, I should right, return to write right, something about right, Baal Shem
1: Tov. Right. I'm, I'm curious, from when you started studying Baal Shem Tov until yeah. today, how's your thinking about him changed? i
0: thinking of someone who came from a very low background, maybe family, but rather ignorant, who was very intelligent and was able to change all the time. And given those changes, he could bring in his circle many people. For sure, he was extraordinarily intelligent. And he was what people are calling charismatic. I don't like the term. Uh, He was very important, but I don't believe that that is the answer for the emergence of artists. It is good to answer the first generation, people who knew him. After two generations, people had stories, but the charisma didn't work, and the problem is why people who didn't know him, despite the fact they told very important stories, they still kept with husbands. That cannot say because of the Baal Shem Tov. okay, Baal Shem Tov is good for the monkeys, for
1: right, Jacob, yeah, said, right. Or if he, if he. in his own individual yes. charisma, right
0: fine right maybe a generation more right. but 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 there was no chassidism there.
1: well perhaps then it was his innovations what he introduced his teachings
0: so, the, the issue, so I'm writing it you know
1: right. I have some I, I did something preparing for your interview because because you really have one second, let me just adjust this closer to you are you enjoying the conversation Fine. I see you do, they have done a lot of work. I, pr- I appreciate that you, that you see that. Um, I did. I, I think you're an important scholar and I wanted to give the time that it deserved to prepare for it. Part, part of the challenge of, of interviewing you, um, as we said earlier, is, is how many themes that, you, that, you've, that you've covered and you've, and you've discussed in your work. And I was a bit nervous sitting down with you of, of what exactly to discuss. So I went around to some of your colleagues and students here and I asked them, I'm going to be sitting with Professor Udell, What should I ask him? And I got some, I got some interesting questions from them. Yeah. I want to do a bit of like a, what they call a lightning round. I'll ask the questions and you, and you, give, you can give a short answer to each question. How does that sound? Pretty we'll try. We'll try, good. <laughs> so the first question is, what is the most important thing for you in your research? Did I enjoy it. <laughs> what, what do you think is your most important article? Maybe it
0: must be a small article named Amakshavara uh, the,
1: uh, the Evil Thought of God. Evil Thought of God.
0: Yes. Which I was sure this was not, never going to be published. And it was published immediately. And then it became a book, Evil Evil.
1: Why is that your most important work?
0: Because it gave another line, historically speaking. Uh, Sholem claimed that uh, North, the East, and my claim is that there are some elements which are the hmm. And that Sholem thought in Tishby that uh, Luria invented all this vision of catharsis. Right. And I believe it was
1: found much earlier. Following up on that theme, what's your what's your most important book in your estimation?
0: I believe most important book is the book on Messianism which, in my opinion, didn't receive enough attention.
1: I loved it. But
0: if you look, people still are writing books named the messianic idea, as if there was a messianic idea.
1: <laughs> right.
0: I think, I think about scholars. They don't speak about it. It's very bizarre for me. Not that they are allowed to do whatever they want, but at least to knowledge <laughs> to, to, to not to acknowledge at least to explain right. why there is a messianic idea
1: right right so and so you're saying that was the that was the the most important point that you were trying to make there yes um, what do you think of the the general state of mysticism in the world today in the public
0: Meaning, uh, what happened ideology declined uh, the economic situation is much better. People attempt to escape dangers. So that's escapism. People can afford to do it. Earlier they didn't. Earlier they had other alternatives. And you can see how people are shifting from an ideology to mysticism.
1: You think it's because of the, the plentifulness that we have and, and the desire to escape?
0: I see that, uh, look, two big attempts in the 20th century uh, communists and capitalists actually they were ruined by reality, if you like to call it so. So people don't believe in it.
1: Right.
0: So they're looking for something different. Right. And mysticism, not only this, is, but this is one of the
1: roots. Do you feel like you were maybe disillusioned by ideology because of your upraising in, in Romania?
0: Yeah, I was disillusioned uh, already in Romania. Meaning, uh, my claim is that I never met a communist in Romania. I studied the communists, but by people who didn't believe in it. But right. They had to teach it. Right. After a while, I believed at the beginning, and afterwards I understood that already in Romania that's not. So my disillusion is not here; it was already there.
1: Right. Why do you think that Kabbalah, as a field of research, is so successful today?
0: Because mysticism is successful. So also the scholarship is, is, is exactly the same. Unfortunately, from time to time, they overlap.
1: Unfortunately? Yes. <laughs> what does that mean?
0: People, you know, take too seriously the claims of the mystics
1: as scholars. Hmm. Scholars take the claims of the mystics yes. too seriously. Can you give me an example?
0: No, it's better not to give examples, but unfortunately there
1: are many. <laughs> No, I didn't mean the example of a name. I meant example of an idea. No,
0: I prefer not to answer
1: the question. Okay, sure. Um, what do you What do you enjoy outside of Kabbalah?
0: Uh, well, in different parts of life. I mean, it's not exactly uh, one. One's music, chess. Now,
1: family. Mm. You You have grandchildren. Yes. They They give They bring you nachas. Very much. I'm glad to hear. Um, what's your What's your perspective uh, in general on the on the contemporary state of the scholarship of of mysticism and Kabbalah? There is too much, too much scholarship,
0: too much scholarship, which is uh, a problem because people cannot read. Mm. It's too much to read or read superficially. And then create a lot of uh, disputes and a lot of waste of time. I prefer to have less but better.
1: What's the remedy? How did you get? How do you get to that? No remedy. <laughs> is that a structural problem? There's
0: no, no remedy. The problem is very deep because also the mm. university is encouraging it.
1: It's not
0: only a personal story.
1: Encouraging everyone to write.
0: Yes, to write, to publish.
1: It's funny because the sages of the Talmud, when they bless each other, they bless that they should have many students. They should increase the scholarship.
0: But uh, the situation, not that they say that everything is bad. For sure not. They are very fine scholars. But we ask in general.
1: Right. Who are some some promising scholars that, that, that you see on the horizon?
0: I look at to answer, you know, there, there are many and everyone believes that he, she is the best. Um,
1: what What has changed, if you're looking at the field of, of the scholarship of Jewish mysticism, from when you started until today, both no, both for the good and the negative?
0: Very simple. Once it was one idea dominating. It was Sholem. People can dispute with Sholem, but it was Sholem. Right. Now, there's nothing like that. Everything is much more open
1: much more diffuse. But you're a fan of diffusion and plurality and
0: I have no problem with it. <laughs> I said it's fine.
1: But you say but you're saying that the that the that the the extent of it is maybe too much
0: I was very specific about what is too much. That people too much is created and written hastily, right. and people are reading superficially, and then there are disputes. Too much
1: quantity, not enough quality. Yes, yeah, that's, okay, that's the issue.
0: Okay. Not, I didn't say that too much is by itself bad, but when people didn't have time, they studied at least 20 right. years manuscripts. No one is studying one year.
1: But you do point out the the internal plurality and diversity is now a positive thing. It is fine. Right. That is for sure. Fine. You're happy with that. Do you see that same trend in other fields of mysticism, or is that something that's you happening specifically in Jewish mysticism? I by
0: now don't follow follow too much what happens outside. I'm still reading the same people, like Magin and Dupre, that I knew. And uh, uh, only occasionally I I read something going outside. For sure. You can see that people became much more, how to put it, practical uh, dealing with neurology, or this. With what? Neurology.
1: Neurology, right?
0: I mean, right. Uh, right. that they see something right. new.
1: Right. It's interesting. Out of out of really all of the scholars of Jewish mysticism that I've read, you engage most with theories of mysticism, with with um, with the methodologies of the study of mysticism. Yes it's a it's a fascinating field and subject of its own which i think is is undervalued
0: yes but uh, i am doing it uh, with the help of uh, experts and not by myself alone right right meaning i had a student who s- became a neurologist and, right. and we had discussions and, uh, uh, and i don't do it alone you know, to I make them. it I uh, clear you don't them. claim here a hat
1: and you had but that, that is an important part of research is, is the theories. That, uh, that yes,
0: that's, that's important. I believe that uh, the human structure is important to understand what happened
1: right. within right. the structure. But not just the human structure; also the theoretical constructs.
0: I don't know how much theory I made. I, I contributed more to the hermeneutics uh, than to the theory of mysticism.
1: Right. But you've analyzed theory of mysticism.
0: I analyze from time to time right. the theories of Scholem, right. or the Corbin, and the... yes, you're right, but uh, I don't see it, you know, as the most important issue.
1: I hear
0: that. I hear that. It's much more being.
1: I hear. How, how close is, is Jewish mysticism to other mystical traditions?
0: Look. The first time of mythology that I encountered studying was Hinduism. And uh, I admire very much the matter of power. Yoga is not only mystica, yoga is a matter of power. And also the vision, Hindu vision of the sacrifice, mm-hmm. that's theological and uh, that had an influence on me i assume christian mysticism, which i encounter much later despite the fact i have seen christian mystics as a child i didn't know what i see i was born not far away from the most important monastery mystical monastery in romania Mm -hmm. maybe in eastern europe and i've seen the monks but i had no idea what i see i didn't know what happened there only very late late i discovered in encyclopedia the monastery i've seen there it was the center of a mystical movement but i was not influenced by it i assumed that the hinduist was much the how to put it the earliest and maybe the most important hmm.
1: influence. On your own thinking? Yes. And, and Sufism?
0: Sufism is for sure very interesting. And my claim is that the influence of Sufism. My claim it from time to time. And I believe that historically true. But it's not far away from Christian mysticism
1: right have you and has has Buddhist, has Buddhist mysticism been a point of interest for you yeah Buddhism
0: I read with this one in Israel for sure yes it's very attractive from many points of view uh, skeptical critical but uh, that's uh, not my approach toward mysticism that's maybe my more personal approach.
1: Hmm. Interesting. Do you see any any metaphysical commonality between the, the, between the Buddhist and the Hasidic thinkers?
0: not so much. I know that uh, Buber was very fond of it. Uh, like many great ideas of Buber it doesn't work in my opinion. This. Is, there are moments of interesting remark by Buber. He is claiming that uh, who is at the door? It's I. Uh, yeah, is, you know. made interesting remarks, but that's, in my opinion, marginal.
1: Is what? Marginal. Marginal. Right here. I hear.
0: Means there are yeah. interesting. Uh, that's very interesting. Cone. Right. But okay. Yeah. What is the structure? I believe that. Uh, the Besh knew also the Hindu, what's called the parable of the Wall, Yeah. with the illusion. Yeah. That's Maya, right. in my opinion. Right. So, not that I, those are moments.
1: What about the Buddhist belief, you know, the Buddhist belief that um, nirvana is, there, is the realization that there is no difference between samsara and nirvana? Right.
0: And I don't like this uh, modern. How to put it? No, how you call, you call it? modernism? Yes, it's uh, non-duality. Right. That's again a claim that I see in
1: some younger scholars
0: speaking about.
1: Well, you don't, you don't think, you don't think someone like Nagarjuna was a non-dualist?
0: Look, <laughs> you know, it is very nice to say it. Non-dual unfortunately i see too many dualities
1: (laughs) in their in in their own
0: that's a trend right a trend you know in 81 i was for for the first time in california so people took me to malibu which was actually an island of buddhists some years later people took me to pico was center of Kabbalah so you can see the change in the fashion in fashion uh, mm-hmm. fashion fashion mm-hmm. I mean here at the beginning they took me here there.
1: do you um who is going now to Malibu do you do you think that there is non-duality uh, in Judaism, do you see do you see non dualism? I
0: don't, don't understand exactly what non dualism. <laughs> so I cannot. Uh, I know the people are writing a lot right. about it, but uh, I must admit that I don't understand.
1: My this is my last question. The last question is, the, the Kabbalists seem to have two gods, right? And this is something that that Shalom's written on and you've written on. There's God as Ein Sof, and then there's God as Firat, and there's God as the Yotzaib Rishit, the the God of of the Bible and of of tradition, religion. Um, Shalom wrote some interesting works trying to explain the different techniques of different Kabbalists that are trying to negotiate. No, that's
0: too complicated question. Complicated Uh, question. Too
1: complicated.
0: (laughs) I don't believe that, uh, you know, the division between the God, the Bible, the the insof, it's simplistic, uh, too simplistic. When well, is you have in so when you have uh you have is saying do. Right. So what he was not a good Hasid.
1: Well it's a, it's a personalization of the of the Ainsif, no.
0: Why not say there are two different issues?
1: What are the two different issues?
0: One is more personal and the one which is personal, Right. But not non duality or something like that. Different ideas coming from different places, which are combined in one way or another.
1: And that's all. Right. Um, Professor Udell, I want to thank you very much for for giving generously okay. of your time and presence and knowledge. Uh, I hope I hope you enjoyed. And
0: uh, yes, that remind me some moments in my life. Yes.
1: Um, was there anything? In, was there anything that you felt that uh, that we missed or we we could have uh, mentioned oh, that you wanted I, to mention?
0: I don't miss sure. you. I don't want to transcend the interview.
1: You don't want to transcend. It's it's interesting. In your in your completeness, right? Yeah. Maybe that maybe in itself there's something mystical there that you don't you don't like anything. You're not looking for transcendence. There's a very that itself is, is maybe a mystical direction.
0: Well, if you like to call it mysticism,
1: you can call it mysticism, <laughs> you know.
0: It's up to you. I don't feel complete at all. I feel that I don't know in my enough and about things I write. That's a sign of completeness, yes.
1: mm. So you, you feel lack?
0: Curiosity is part of it. Curiosity when you feel that you don't know.
1: Right, right.
0: So they still feel it.
1: I think that's a beautiful thing, that you're still curious all these years later. And
0: I enjoy I tell you. The most important thing in my scholarship is
1: that I enjoy, enjoy. it. Tell me tell me one last thing and, and, and we'll end with this what do you find beautiful in kabbalah
0: Well, no, i'm not very aesthetically influenced uh, biased and from time to time the language is uh, not exactly the best hebrew not speak about Hasidism, but also others and the structure, you know, structure, and everything is parshanut, running from one place to another. And I don't look at those elements, those elements, meaning that you don't have, you know, majestic edifices, which can be short, but well-organized and logical, and we don't find it. You almost don't, don't find Kabbalistic poems, meaning what you have is maybe, maybe five poems, look to what happened in Islam,
1: right.
0: all, all together, the with Luria, he did Nefesh, and how many do you have? Right.
1: Right. What about something if it's not 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 linguistic beauty, but conceptual beauty? How? What about something that's conceptually beautiful?
0: I don't know what is beautiful. The concepts are changing. It depends where and the concept doesn't remain static.
1: Is that part of its secret? Maybe. It's not a
0: secret, it's a fact.
1: (laughs) Is Is it part of the secret of its survival, I'm saying? Yes it, may be. yes, it
0: may be. Fixed things
1: are easily broken.
0: Okay, must go home.
1: Okay. Thank you for your time today. Yes. I very much appreciate it. Okay, thank you.